This is the Bass Guitar Worship Blender Podcast. Welcome to the Bass Guitar Worship Blender Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Hasaker. You've never heard of me before, and that's okay, because I've never heard of you before either. Uh, but that's okay. We can be friends, and we can uh, we can enjoy our time together. I just want to give you a little bit of an overview of what this podcast will be, since this is the first episode. I'm a bass player, and uh, duh, obviously. I've been playing bass with my church worship team for about five and a half years. Uh, it's a small little church in a small little town of Crystal River, Florida. Uh, although we've got a pretty good sized church for our, our area, we've got about six, seven, eight hundred uh, people in our congregation on a uh, average Sunday. And um, I got involved in, I've been in music all my life, but I got involved with the church later in life. I didn't get saved till about five and a half years ago, right before I ended up getting involved with, uh, with the, a church and, and then playing on the worship team. And um, so this podcast is basically a lot about my experiences, but um, I don't want it to be just about me. Um, praise God, I do not want it to be just about me. I want to really involve other people as much as possible into this podcast. Now, when I'm listening to other podcasts, because I'm since I'm a bass player, I want to I want to learn more about playing bass. I'm, I'm and so one of the areas is hey, I've got a long commute to work every day, so I seek out podcasts that I can listen to. And the bass podcast, it's kind of hard finding a bass podcast where they're really talking about the bass. A lot of times um I mean there's some good podcasts out there, don't get me wrong, but a lot of times it's interviews with bass players or even people who aren't bass players, and they're talking about a lot of stuff that doesn't have anything to do with uh, the bass guitar. And so I'm hoping that this podcast will be more about not just interviews with people, which I do want to have that because that's cool, um, but it'll actually be about things that you can use and apply to your own playing on a church platform. So I want to talk about technique. I want to talk about theory. I want to talk about... um, ways that you can improve your playing and i also want to talk about gear too because we love talking about gear that's always a fun thing to talk about Uh, but i don't want to spend too much time talking about gear I also want to make this podcast where it's not just me talking. I I mentioned interviews. Yeah, of course, we want to have interviews with people, but also want to be able to find ways of making it more of a community instead of just me up here blabbering into a microphone because um, there's probably only going to be so much of that that you're going to be able to handle myself included. So I want to get you involved in this podcast. Who is this hack? Episode one of the Bass Guitar Worship Blender podcast. Hi, my name is Brent Hasaker, and I am the one that is hosting this podcast. And you're probably wondering, who is this hack? Who's this guy that thinks he's good enough to do a bass podcast? Well, to be honest, I really don't think that I'm good enough to... Uh, pretend to be any kind of expert or anything like that because I'm not. I'm, I'm actually, I consider myself an average everyday bass player, um, but I also feel like I do have uh, some interesting things that I bring to the mix because my background's probably a little different than, than uh, some uh, bass players. Um, so I figured um, what I'll do for this uh, first podcast is I'll, I'll kind of give you a history of who I am, introduce myself so you get to know me, and uh, I hope that in no way that this uh, introduction comes off as vain or anything like that. I, I definitely don't want that to be the case, but just to help you know who I am, because I definitely want to know more about um, the listeners to this podcast. I want to be able to meet people through this podcast and be able to also uh, help uh, bring other people up you, even if even if you're a better bass player than me, I want to bring you up to a higher level. If you're not as good a bass player as me, I want to bring you up to my level or above. 
Um, so this podcast is really, it's, it's not about uh, me pretending to be this great bass player. It's really about helping all of us kind of working together and building each other up. I'll be honest, I'm looking for somebody to mentor me, and I'm also looking for people to mentor myself. And so I'll go ahead and give me a background of who I am. So really, it all starts out... Uh, Going back to when I was nine years old, or actually probably a little earlier than that. I'm, in, I'm, well, I'll be honest. I'm 47 now, so um, I'm not a spring chicken, but I'm also uh, I'm not old. Um, so when I was a kid, second grade, I was sleeping over at my friend Stan's house, and uh, we were, I don't know, playing with Legos or something like that. And Stan's mom said, Stan, it's time for you to practice your piano. Oh, mom, I don't want to. And I thought, wow, you play the piano? I had no idea. And so he went over to the piano and sat down and started playing. And, and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. I had no idea you could do this. And wow, look at what you're doing. This is really cool. So I thought that was just a, a, a great, cool thing. And I just couldn't believe how good my friend Stan was on the piano. And so I was all excited about it. And I went, and of course, I had to have him teach me something. And, and when my mom picked me up, it was a sleepover. So when my mom picked me up the next day, I said, Mom, I, I want a piano. I want to learn how to play the piano like Stan. And for a while, my mom thought, this is just my son just thinking, you know, it's just a phase. It's, ah, it's nothing. Um, but I guess I must have kept pestering her about it because at some point she uh, went out and bought a piano for us. It was a beat up old used upright piano for a couple hundred bucks I think uh, my parents got it for I guess they didn't really think I was going to be you know really serious about it so they didn't spend a lot of money on a piano this was back in the days before they had you know small little portable keyboards and things like that um, this would have been I guess yeah late 70s so if you wanted to play piano you had to go out and buy a piano uh, you didn't have small uh, little Casios and stuff at that time um, although they did come out shortly after that, because I remember getting a, a small Casio at some point later on. But anyway, uh, so I started taking piano lessons when I was nine years old, formal lessons. Um, so that meant going to a piano teacher and learning classical music and uh, reading sheet music and learning proper technique. And I played classical music for with these piano instructions for uh, really up until I was about 17, 18 years old, uh, graduating from high school. study uh, when you're taking formal piano lessons with classical music uh, at least with my teacher we weren't studying theory and harmony and all that stuff we were really focusing on learning songs off of sheet music so that meant memorizing some very com complex pieces knowing every single note of the song knowing how to play with dynamics knowing the proper technique um, so even though i didn't learn a lot about um, theory at that time I definitely learned a lot about performance and about using proper technique, which has really stuck with me through the years and uh, has definitely helped me out a lot. Um, and so even though I'm a self-taught bass player, coming from a background of proper technique has allowed me to kind of seek out what are the best methods to, uh, what's the proper technique on the bass. Although I probably still got a few areas since I've never had formal training on the bass where I've still got to work out a few little things. And plus I've got a few, which I'll share later, some unique things that I probably do um, as far as my technique, but we'll get into that later. Um, so, okay, so nine years old, I started playing piano. As I started to become a teenager, 
I don't know exactly what year would have, I guess, been around 84. Brian Adams came out with his Reckless album and the Run To You video came out on MTV. And I thought, oh, that's awesome. I want it. That's what I want to be a musician. So up to that point, playing the piano was just because it was fun. I wanted to do it. But uh, at that, that Brian Adams video was kind of my Beatles moment where I thought, yeah, I want to, I want to be a musician. So of course, since he played a guitar, I tried to take some forays into trying to figure out how to play guitar. And that was not very successful. Um, I play very mildly on guitar. I can fake it in the studio and write parts, but really I'm not a good guitar player at all. So I did some trying out on guitar that didn't really work. So I continued to stick with keyboard. Um, even though I had that guitar envy, I, you know, I played in a lot of bands as a keyboard player. starting out in my teens. I was playing in bar bands and things like that when I was still underage. Um, so I was, you know, they were sneaking me in so that I could play, uh, play keyboards in these bands. And, uh, then in my, uh, what was it? Junior year after my junior year of high school, uh, for summer, the summer Berkeley had Berkeley college of music had a five week summer program. I remember going there for that five week summer program, just absolutely loving it. That was the first time really getting exposed to a lot of uh, theory. And so I came back from that five-week program just really geared up and excited and just had so many great ideas and uh, was writing all kinds of music. Um, I, I really, I, I've spent a lot of time as a teenager learning how to write music. And definitely after Berkeley, I was spending a lot and a lot more time uh, writing music and uh, I spent a lot of time when I was out playing with uh, with bands. I was in my bedroom at home, writing songs. Uh, I was using. I was by that time I was collecting a lot of uh, synthesizers and a sequencer and drum machines. So I was I was recording a lot of my own stuff, writing my own full songs with the sequencer and recording it to tape. Of course, back then it was cassette tape and sharing it with my friends and everything. So actually I'll backtrack a little bit and actually mention how I got into synthesizers. It's actually kind of funny in that um, just as my friend Stan back in the uh, late seventies got me into playing the piano, he also got me into synthesizers because it, it was probably around uh, 84 or so when he... Uh, he had got a Roland HS60, which is basically a Juno 106 with built-in speakers. And he had gotten that, I don't know if it's for his birthday or something like that. And, and, uh, I remember, uh, going over to his house and playing and it was just, it was just the coolest thing ever. And I just loved the idea that you could just change the sounds and create all these unique textures and all, it was just, it was so cool. And so then again, of course, mom, mom, I got to have a synthesizer. So she's probably thinking, great. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Stan. Um, you're costing me a lot of money. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so eventually I think it was either Christmas of 84 or Christmas of 85. I don't remember which. I got my first synthesizer, which was a poly Korg Poly 800 synthesizer. And uh, that's what I learned how to really program on. Um, even though it had a very difficult interface to, to, pro to program, it was very cumbersome. But uh, I spent a lot of time and really had fun with that synthesizer since it was my first one. Uh, later, I continued to, to buy more and more. And over the years... I owned tons of, of uh, keyboards, um, a lot of classic synthesizers too. Um, I'll just a name, here's some things that come top, them, top of mind of what I've owned uh, for those of you that might have uh, some knowledge of keyboards. Uh, obviously the Poly 800, Korg DW8000. I, over the years, I've owned a total of three Roland Jupiter 6s, uh, three three Roland Juno 106s, one really pristine, perfect condition Roland Jupiter 8 with a DCB MIDI conversion box. 
um, a, a original 70s era mini Moog, um, uh, Sequential Circuits Pro One, uh, Oberheim Four Voice, Oberheim OBXA, uh, Korg M1, Kurzweil K1000, uh, Oberheim OB3, which was an organ module. A bunch of rack mount gear, uh, Access Virus, B Synth, a Waldorf Micro Q, uh, Waldorf Pulse. Um, gosh, there's still plenty others that I can't think of. Yamaha DX5, a Yamaha CS5. Um, yeah, just like I said, lots and lots of stuff over the years that I've owned. So I've, I've had a lot of experience with a lot of really cool vintage synthesizers. And um, so uh, when I'm playing on the worship team now, I... I, I I actually just use a plug-in. <laughs> I use plug-ins with a with a MIDI controller, and that's pretty much my keyboard setup now nowadays. But uh, I've had a lot of experience with the original stuff that the plug-ins are are modeling now. Um, so definitely have a lot of I, I definitely have a love for for vintage synthesizers, and uh, and so a lot of experience with that. After high school, went to uh, college for a couple years, uh, community college, and then uh, applied for Berkeley and got in. And that was roughly around 91, summer of 91, I think I went to uh, Berkeley and went there for a few years. And I studied, uh, actually ended up becoming an arranging major. I don't think that was what I initially had intended to uh, be when I went there. Um, I, I Probably a performance major was what I was thinking, or even an engineering major, because I had by that time had a lot of experience uh, in doing recording in, in professional studios and even doing some paid work and whatnot uh, for studios. And so I uh, had a lot of experience doing my own studio recordings. I thought maybe engineering, but I ended up not going that direction. I ended up going into commercial arranging because I enjoyed it so much. I had uh, my arranging classes, I just loved so much that I was doing just all kinds of extra credit work on my own just because I wanted to and sharing it with my teacher. I was so excited about what I was learning, um, being able to write full uh, parts for for horn section and and for all the different instruments and just writing all these arrangements. And what's cool at Berkeley is you actually have access to uh, student bands where you would take your score to the student band and you would, you would, this was back before computer uh, notation. So we actually had to write all this out by hand. We'd have the full score. Then we'd have to write out all the individual parts for everybody. And then we'd hand out the parts to the student band and, and give the score to the conductor who would, who would be a, a teacher there if, uh, on the, on, on the uh, faculty. And they would conduct the, the song and you'd listen to it and record it with a tape deck. And then you'd take that to your, your teacher and say, okay, here's, here's what I did. And, and they would grade it. Um, so that, those, those would have been our homework assignments, but I was actually having, I, I was realizing this is awesome. I've got access to all these phenomenal musicians and some of the musicians, uh, in those student bands went on to be major recording acts and working with all kinds of big name people and Grammy award winners. So, um, at that time I was recognizing how talented these guys were. And, and so I was taking, I was just writing all kinds of stuff on my own and taking it to them and having them play it and and uh, just really learned a lot during that time. And of course, I was sharing that with my arranging teacher and 
they were my uh i think it was i'm trying to remember his name i don't want to mention in case it's wrong but uh, i remember sharing all those arrangements with my teacher he was really impressed at some point i got recruited then to be one of five arrangers to uh, put on their every year berkeley would have their singer showcase and so they would feature the top talent in the in the school so they would have the best singers the best musicians and the best arrangers put together this show it was a big uh their main show that they put on every year so i got recruited for that and uh, and so I, as one of the arrangers uh, we picked all the you know the uh, the vocalists for the show we matched up music for them we wrote uh, arrangements for the the uh, songs that we were assigned to we ran the rehearsals for the songs that we were doing so it was real real big uh, to do and uh, had a lot of fun doing that so got to then conduct our my songs for that particular show me to get a lot of uh, visibility within the school as an arranger which was good because when i went to berkeley really you find out just how low on the totem pole you are as a musician and i this was i was still a keyboard player then and i thought it was pretty good you know a lot of classical music background but i was really uh, i did not compare at all to the musicians that were there i i was really at the bottom of the barrel for uh, the uh, talent that was there as far as musicianship, but uh, for arranging and com composition, I was actually finding out I was pretty good. So um, since I had a lot of experience in, in engineering and recording going into college, um, at Berkeley College of Music. And, and by the way, I'm, when I talk about Berkeley, I'm not talking about the Berkeley over in California. Uh, I'm talking about a completely different college. It's Berkeley College of Music in Boston. It's even spelled differently. It's not the same college. Anytime I tell people I was from Berkeley, they think, oh, you went to Berkeley in California. No, no, no. That was completely unrelated, different school. Um, Berkeley College of Music is, is actually a world-renowned college of music. We had an extremely high population of foreign students because people from all around the world, musicians from all around the world, came to Berkeley to study. Um, so really great school. And I actually, at one time, um, because I always had an interest in engineering too, that was something that as I started recording in my early teen years, I, I really got really interested in, in recording and and all the technology involved with recording recording and all the techniques. And I remember setting up a meeting with the department chair of the engineering department at Berkeley because I wanted to show them some ideas that I had come up with. I basically put together a little presentation of a couple different uh, ideas I had for recording consoles. And one of the ideas is basically, and again, this is around 92, 93 or so, and one of the ideas I had was uh, what I called at the time the independent channel strip, which basically, if you're familiar with a Personas console, uh, the studio live consoles that they have, and really there's a lot of consoles, but I just use that as an example because they had what's called the fat channel. It basically... That fat channel is what my independent channel strip was back in the early 90s. And that was one of the ideas that I was pitching to the engineering chair. And um, and also another idea was basically the, the virtual mixing consoles and kind of how they were set up and the layout and, and things like that. And again, this was before I even knew what any of this stuff was because um, even though I'm sure it existed at the time, um, you really, you didn't have this kind of technology really, uh, really that, that I'm aware of that was available at that time. So I'm not saying that I invented the fat channel on the personas board or, or anything like that having to do with virtual mixers, but 
I was theorizing those things back in the early 90s because that's that's where my head was at. I was always coming up with all these ideas. So I had this idea of this one channel strip that you could assign any channel on the board to. And that's where you did all your mixing and, you know, did all the EQ settings and everything else. And and um, so uh, the engineering chair who I was showing these ideas to was so impressed by them. He actually offered me uh, a he said, Hey, do you basically, do you want to be an engineering major? Because I can make that happen for you. Uh, and, but I was already pretty much involved with, with arranging at that time. So, so I denied, um, his offer there, but, um, and also he, he owned, uh, I believe he owned patents on some different recording or music equipment or something like that. So I'm not saying I invented it and he went off and took that idea and presented it to some other people. It was already, I'm sure those were ideas already in, in, in process by other people that much, that were much smarter than me. Um, but I just like to jokingly tell people that I invented the, the fat channel on the, uh, personas mixer, but, uh, that's really not the case. Uh, but anyway, that's just tells you where my head was at and, and how that I'm, I'm very, I've always been interested and involved in, in recording technology. that I was at Berkeley. Ended up back in Florida for a little while. That's my uh, home. I'm from Florida and spent some time in Georgia and then came back to Florida. And around mid-90s, then I ended up setting up a little recording studio in my house. And for the next five or six years, that's uh, where most all my musical uh, endeavors were. We're just sitting at home recording songs, using all the background of my uh, arranging uh, skills of just basically recording everything, writing a song and figuring out guitar parts for it, recording the guitar parts, uh, doing the drums, doing the vocals, which I'd never done before because I really never considered myself a very good singer and I'm still not, but I could at least kind of fake it in the, the studio uh, just as I could fake guitars in the studio, meaning I could use the power of overdubs and and uh, spending a lot of time perfecting uh, each part. That's kind of how what I mean by faking it. Um, and so, of course, around this time, you know, I was uh, needing bass parts too. And since I was pretty much doing everything myself, because I'm kind of in a rural area, I don't have a lot of access to to uh, to other musicians around here. So um, I end up borrowing a bass from a friend of mine I was in a band with. I, I and I when I was in the band with him, I would always when when we weren't playing and we we're just kind of sitting around, I'd ask if I could play his bass. And I had like one song I knew how to play on it, which was dun 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 what is that sunshine of your love by cream. And used to drive him crazy until he'd take it away from me because I was you know, annoying him so bad by playing that song over and over. So uh, anyway, I ended up borrowing the bass from him and recording my first bass track and actually was using his Cubicki Factor bass. I don't know if you remember those. Those were big back in the 80s and then they disappeared. Um, but he actually owned two of them. And so I borrowed one of his Cubickies and, and played my first bass part and it actually sounded like an actual bass part. It was nothing complex or anything, but I was impressed that I pulled it off and really enjoyed it.
so I continue to want to do more and more with uh, bass. And at some point, I, you know, I'm recording all these songs at home. Of course, a lot of the bass parts I was doing on the keyboard, but um, I always liked writing bass parts. And so I just, as I got into it, I realized, you know, I'm going to need to probably get my own bass because I'm not going to be able to keep borrowing my friend's Kubicki over and over again. So ended up uh, going out, not really knowing what I needed. So I thought, uh, okay, I thought I found a bass I thought would work really well. Uh, I thought it would be kind of a modern sound and give me a lot of flexibility in its tone and whatnot. And it was an Ibanez SR series bass. And so four string and had probably bought that around 96 and just didn't really connect with that bass. It just wasn't, ended up not being the bass for me. It was my first try at buying a bass and I, I really didn't know what I needed at that time. And so at some point I was at thoroughbred music which is actually got bought out years ago by sam ash but anybody who's from florida probably knows that name i probably spent every bit of lawnmower money that i ever earned in the 80s at thoroughbred music and uh, they had a couple different um locations around the tampa bay area i think you know i was in the uh, clearwater store which was an interesting building because it seemed like it was like a converted old museum or something like that Anyway, I, I ended up uh, picking up and playing a Fender five-string jazz bass, which I think were had just recently kind of came out on the market around that time. And so this was one of the first American-made uh, Fender jazzes that was on the market. And when I picked it up, and, and I'd never played a five-string before, and so when I picked it up and started playing, I was just like, wow, this is exactly, this fits my hand. This Because four-string basses, I always felt like they were just too tight i've kind of got big hands and four string just felt too confined and so even though i wasn't i didn't know how to use the b string at that time just where my hands were placed for the the bottom four strings just felt perfect and so i was like i've got to get a five string bass so at some point i ended up selling or getting rid of the uh the ibanez sr series got the uh, fender five string and that's when i really started getting into playing bass uh more and more and um that would have been late 90s probably somewhere around 98 or so i think is when i got that bass i can't really remember for sure maybe 97 and so by 2000 i ended up uh, joining a original rock band a rock band playing all original songs and that was my first time actually officially as a bass player so i was the bass player in the band so i went from uh, about five or six years where I was just studio recording all my own stuff. I was doing every single track, everything, what I had kind of jokingly called 100% Brent. Um, so I went from that to then being in a band where I was just the bass player.
So this was my first time as a bass player, officially a bass player, and I was playing in a band, you know, from going from full uh, recording everything to now just being the bass player, and that was so much fun because it, it was a lot easier, uh, less stressful, because I didn't have to worry about doing other par- all the other parts. And I was working with some good guys, uh, really, really a good band. I really enjoyed that time. Uh, so that was about 2000 to 2001. Um, I was, you know, started off playing my Fender Jazz a lot around that time. So since I was, hey, I'm a, I'm actually officially a bass player now. I got to own more gear. So of course I had to go out and buy more basses and whatnot. So um, I ended up having, at some point I bought a Fender Jazz Deluxe five string, um, which had the smaller body um, and it was active pickups. And I think it had, uh, I, I didn't have it for very long, so I don't remember all the details about it, but it was a really beautiful bass and had a translucent red uh, finish to it. Um, also I ended up getting a, uh, music man, uh, fretless jazz, fretless jazz, fretless, uh, stingray five string and with a translucent orange finish. I actually got that. I took a trip down to base central in Orlando and actually bought that bass from Beaver Felton. Um, who had, I don't know if that name rings a bell for you, but he had a lot of training videos back in, I think, the 80s and 90s. And um, really, really good bass player. And uh, so bought that bass from him. And that became a bass that I used a lot in the second half of my uh, my time with that band that I just mentioned. Also, towards the end of that band, I also ended up getting a fretted five-string Music Man Stingray as well, and um, so, and then I also had some Brownsville bass, um, which I just had as kind of like a beater bass that I could leave at the rehearsal place where we record, or not where we record, where we practice, um, and that was just like a uh, kind of a cool looking bass. It had it was like sparkle yellow finish, and and uh, it was really cheaply made, but it actually sounded pretty good and played pretty well. So it was just a fun bass to have around. And so anyway, around uh, 2001, uh, the band broke up. So yeah, so after the uh, band broke up, and even though I was still uh, doing some recording here and there, it was getting further and farther between uh, songs. And uh, I guess the the life of, uh, you know, being an older, uh, responsible adult or trying to be anyway and working a a job full time and you just end up having less time uh, for music and um, also you're pursuing things such as women. (laughs) So uh, that kind of starts to get in the way too. And uh, really for the next, um, I would say the next 10 or so years, music started to kind of dry up in my life, unfortunately. And uh, really a lot of things started to dry up in my life. Um, By the time around 2010, 2011 came around, I was basically realizing I'm still single. I'm hitting 40 years old and I'm still single and I'm just not doing any of the things that I used to love. I'm not doing music anymore. I also used to mountain bike a lot. I wasn't doing that much anymore. I w- there was just a lot of things I wasn't doing, and I just was kind of really feeling pretty empty. And so I, and I wasn't a Christian. And so, um, but for many years, though, God had been speaking to me. And at first it was, you know, I don't hear you. I don't hear you. And then it's like, okay, I hear you. And, but I'm not going to obey you. And so eventually, I guess it was around 2012 or so, 13. I remember the, uh, yeah, I guess it was around 12, 13, somewhere around there. I I can't remember exact dates, but um, I remember finally going, okay, God, I give in. I, I, you know, I'm in my forties. I'm single. Um, I, I'm alone. I just feel like, you know, nothing's happening. I'm not doing anything right. And, um, and so I just, I gave myself to Christ. And so at that point, right around that exact time I gave myself to Christ, I actually started feeling the urge to start playing bass again. And so, um, I hadn't played much. The only time I really played bass at that point for the, like the last eight years or so was if I had, if I wrote a song, which again, wasn't very, was not very often by that point. I'd get the bass out, figure out a bass part, record the song, and then put the bass back away. And so I started getting the bass out now um, and just 
started playing and practicing on it, something I hadn't done in, in really that in a long time. And so, um, and around that time too, of giving my, myself to Christ, then I ended up, uh, finding a church that I was, uh, happy with and, and, uh, started attending on a regular basis. And, and shortly after it was only about two or three months into going to church that, that my pastor found out I played bass. And next thing I know, the very next Sunday, I'm, I'm on the worship team playing. Um, so that was kind of weird for me. I'd only been a Christian for about, you know, three, three or four months, and already I'm on the platform playing, which was very odd for me, um, because I didn't quite feel like I was deserving to be up on that platform, both from a musical standpoint, because I didn't know Christian music at all at that point. And also from just being a Christian standpoint, I felt like, gosh, I'm up on the platform and I, I'm hardly, I'm a baby Christian. I don't even know what I'm doing here. give it up for the band hallelujah but that was a great experience for me um and uh just you know basically it's kind of like learning by getting how to swim by being thrown into the water (laughs) so um in in our worship team is is definitely a worship team where there's not a lot of instruction (laughs) so it's just kind of like well you know we're we're just going to play and play along and uh, a lot of times what we played does not match chord charts um and there's, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of spontaneity too on our worship team. There's times when we'll just, our worship leader or even our pastor will get up and start playing a song that was not on the schedule. And it'll be a song that I have never even heard before. And next thing you know, you're just kind of following along. Uh, for me being that I was a keyboard player. Um, and I don't really play well by ear. I mean, I can sit down with a song and, and learn a song by ear by, you know, playing through it a few times and figuring out the parts, but on the spot, on, on the platform in front of a full congregation, that's really not a good time for me to figure out a, a song by ear. I don't do too well under that kind of uh, situation, but being that I was a keyboard player and by my position on the platform, I could basically look 
diagonally across and see the keyboard player's left hand or our worship leader would always be the keyboard player so i could see the worship leader's left hand and fortunately for me most of our worship leaders have been uh, well fortunately and unfortunately have been bass heavy on their their left hand uh, fortunately is in that if i didn't know the song i could see their left hand they're kind of banging out octave roots on their left hand i go okay i could kind of follow along the song of what of what they're playing based on what they're hitting with their left hand. Of course, the other side of the equation there is, you know, then on all the songs, they're they're banging out octaves in their left hand, and so they're muddying up all my space of where, you know, I should be uh, the sole frequency. Um, so you got that. But anyway, it's been it's been a great learning experience. It's definitely developed me as a musician by playing in that environment. And so uh, that's what I've been doing for the last five and a half years is playing uh, pretty consistently on the worship team. I, I pretty much play every Sunday um, for two services. Occasionally I fill in on Wednesdays. Um, I also for a little while played in a, a contemporary Christian band, um, you know, uh, that played outside of the church. So that was a lot of fun being able to play in different environments outside of the church doing Christian music. Um, so we had a lot of fun with that. Um, and I'm looking for more opportunities too. I want to continue to serve at my church, but I also want to be able to give back to others, uh, where my heart is, even though this podcast, I want it to be for, for anybody who plays bass and, and serves, uh, on, on a church platform. I, I, I'd probably say my biggest heart is for those that are newer to playing on a worship team because even though that was a great learning experience for me the being just kind of thrown in the water it was also scary at times there's times when i just felt like i didn't know what i was doing and i kind of felt a little lost and didn't feel like i had enough uh, you know assistance showing me and helping me along guiding me so i, I will admit a lot of this podcast uh, probably where my biggest heart is 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 helping people who are new who are coming into worship uh they maybe they're new on the bass they they've never played on a worship stage before or even on any stage so um, i do have a lot of heart for for people that are in that that situation i'm the type of person that i i want to i want to keep growing at all times i don't want to be stagnant and so i would love to have the opportunity of playing on, on you know sitting in on other church worship teams as long as it doesn't interfere with my my role at my church um just being able to get out and, and do more in, in different uh arenas different uh areas of just any i just want to serve more and so that's kind of where a lot of where this podcast came from um because i just I want to do more with with playing bass, and I, I don't feel like I'm doing enough right now, so I need other avenues in order to express myself. And I've been doing a lot of videos uh, online, uh, some training videos and, and things like that. Again, it's just an outlet for me because I, I need to do more. Uh, also have uh, me and my wife uh, for a couple semesters at our church have, have run a small group called the Worship Blender where we did some training too on, on worship. So, uh, I just, I have a desire to do more than I'm doing and, and I'm starting to do more recording again, which I haven't done in a while, which I really enjoy. And so anyway, that's my, that's my big story and who I am and, and my background. And, um, oh, also the, the follow-up on the fact that when I came to Christ about five and a half years ago, um, one of the things was, is I, I was not married. I'd never been married. I was still single, uh, not having success with, with relationships, but, um, shortly about a year and a half after being saved, uh, the Lord led me once I was ready, the Lord led me to my wife. And so I've been happily married for the last, uh, three years and very excited about that and, and get to do ministry with my wife as she's a wonderful woman of God. And so I'm very thankful and blessed for that. And uh, so anyway, that's my background. And uh, I hope that this podcast will be helpful for you. So that's the first episode coming to a close here. And uh, I know this episode is a little different than what the uh, episodes to come will be because on future episodes, it's not going to be this long dialogue talking about me. 
But I just felt it was important for the first episode for you to at least be able to find out who I was, what my background is, what my strengths and weaknesses are as a musician. And um, then in the future, on the next episode going forward, it'll be more of a segmented uh, program where it'll be five or 10 minute segments joined together. And you'll notice that the name is called the Bass Guitar Worship Blender. And that name actually came from me and my wife when we did uh, we we did some small groups at church called uh, the small group was called the, the Worship Blender, and basically we would just take different uh, worship related topics and just kind of all throw them together. And each uh, session that we had would just be this kind of a crazy mixture of different things, and it was a lot of fun. People seemed to enjoy it. I liked the name. I thought it was cool. So I but. I didn't want to just call it the worship blender. I wanted to, I wanted to ha- call it the bass guitar, so so people who are searching for podcasts would know. Hey, this is this is for bass guitars. It's and but also mention the worship blender. Still continue to use that name so that people realize. Okay, it's it's not just the same every time. Hopefully, it's a good mix. Uh, the blender mix. Okay, so uh, that's uh, the idea for for upcoming episodes, and I hope you'll you'll stick around. You'll subscribe to this podcast, and that uh, you'll come back for more. Thanks a lot for for listening. Have a great and blessed day. Mm-hmm.